forgiven forever. Let me just get a, a show of hands. How many people were raised in church? Let me see your hand. Okay, you can put them down. How many were not raised in church? You should raise your hand if you didn't raise your hand the first time. How many were not raised in church? It's not a trick question. All right. How many were raised in this church? Sir, raise your hand. All those boys over there. I told people Tiffany was raised. We're still trying to raise Tiffany, but but, uh, most people that were raised in church probably had this doctrine that um, you are not forgiven until you ask for forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9 is a very doctrinal uh, teaching, but we're going to address that today. And so uh, this is what I like for people to say. And well, um, just be teachable. And, and if you disagree with me, you won't be the first. <laughs> but I believe this message is such a set us free today. Are you ready to be set free today? I believe God wants us set free. But uh, I do know this, you know, being the Super Bowl, 32 NFL teams, 32. And only one is going to be crowned champion today. So the other 31 are losers. I'm just saying, that's true. I mean, no matter how you look at it, there's only going to be one champion. But, uh, but nobody likes to lose. Nobody, my wife is, I don't know if she has one ounce of competition in her whatsoever, but she still doesn't like to lose. Me, on the other hand, I like to win. I don't even, when our kids were real little, I didn't even like throwing the game to let them win. You know, my wife would always say, Mike, I go, all right, you won, and they were four years old. But anyway, I always like to win. I always want to win. If I'm going to play something, I'm playing to win. And I believe it's in everybody's flesh, in your DNA, to win. I mean, I know even the women, you women, I mean, don't say, well, it doesn't matter to me. No, it is. Everybody's DNA, you want to win. I even tell my wife that, you want to win. And uh, victory is what God says that he's given us. He's given us, 2 Corinthians 2, 14, thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph. He's always wanting us to triumph because he's given us the victory, amen? So today, I'm going to teach you on victory over sin. You all, the first service really responded to that. Victory over sin. And this is why. This is why I think this is important. How many know that when Adam and Eve were on this planet, everything was perfect until they sinned? And then once sin came on this planet, guess what else came on the planet? Sickness, poverty, lack, and everything to do with the curse. You can look up the curse, Deuteronomy chapter 28. If you don't know what the curse is, you can write it down. I, I don't have that on the notes. But Deuteronomy 28 talks about the curse. The first 15, 16 verses talk about how we're blessed. And then from about 16 to 68, yeah. all of those verses talk about the, the curse. I mean, in your finances, in your body, in sickness, I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Well, the Bible says we're redeemed from the curse. 
But sin brought all of that stuff into this world. It brought sickness. It brought poverty. It brought the curse. It brought all the bad stuff into the world. Sin did that. And so this is my point. If, if you look at it as a mathematical equation, sin on this side and then the equal sign and then the curse, poverty, sickness, and everything on that side. So this is my point. If you and I have an understanding revelation that we have victory over sin, therefore you're going to have victory over sickness and poverty and lack and everything to do with the curse. <clears throat> Maybe you didn't hear me. Is the mic on? If you have victory over sin and you understand that you have victory over sin, then you're going to have victory over sickness and poverty and lack and anything to do with the curse. All right. I'm going to read real quick. This is going to be Bible school instead of church this morning, all right? I'm going to read a bunch of scriptures. And now every one of these scriptures, your job is to see what it says about sin. Free little word. See what the scripture says about sin. Are you ready? Are you ready, PowerPoint? Let's go. All right, Hebrews 9.26. If that had been necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again, ever since the world began. But now, once for all time, he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice. He removed what? Sin. 1 John 2.2. 2. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not our, only our sins, but the sins of all the world. Hebrews 10.11. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices over and over, which can never take away sins. But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever. You should underline that. He's offered one sacrifice for sins forever. He sat down at the right hand of God. Hebrews 10, 14. And by his one perfect sacrifice, he made us perfectly holy and complete for all time. John chapter 1 verse 29. This is what John said when he saw Jesus. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Romans 8.35, this is a message translation. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There is no way, not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. He's saying that nothing can separate you from God's love. I got a picture of this, that Jesus was just holding me so tight and so tight that we were just one. And he said, Mike, there's nothing that can come between you and me. Nothing. Nothing. All right. Did we read Hebrews? No. Hebrews 8.12. Hebrews 8.12. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. So God is saying, I'm not going to remember your sins. I'm not going to remember any of that. The point that I want you to get a hold of today is that once you are born again, you have victory over sin from there on. But we just don't know that. The church doesn't know that. I could have made this a 
four or six week series, but I'm making it a one sermon. So I'm going to speak quick. You listen quick. All right. In Luke chapter five, there's a story about the, the guy who was paralyzed and, and that he had four friends who was going to carry him to Jesus. He comes to the house where Jesus was teaching. It was packed. They couldn't get inside. So they climbed up on top of the house, put a hole in the roof and let this guy down, you know, with ropes on a mat right in front of Jesus. Jesus sees the man, and he sits there, and he turns to the man, and he says this, your sins are forgiven. Now, you got to remember, Jesus operated under the old covenant. You may say, well, it's in, you know, Luke chapter 5. That's the New Testament. It's the New Testament, but it's not the new covenant. The new covenant didn't start until after the resurrection of Jesus. Everybody clear on that? It's very important that you're clear. So Jesus operated under the old covenant. He was operating under the old covenant. But under the old covenant, he tells a guy who I might add, never ask for his sins to be forgiven. And yet Jesus turns to the man and says, your sins will be forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Two chapters later, Luke chapter 7. We have a prostitute who comes to where Jesus is staying. Jesus is in this room, and all of a sudden, the prostitute, just bawling, starts washing Jesus' feet with her tears and drying his feet with her hair. And, and she brought a perfume that was worth one wage, uh, the wage of one year's salary. That's expensive perfume. And she pours that on his feet and anoints Jesus' feet. Again, Jesus turns to the woman and says, Woman, your sins are forgiven. The woman never asked for forgiveness, and yet Jesus forgave her. This is so good. What am I saying? The reason the man, does that seem like Jesus breaking the law or something? No, wait a minute. I mean... They're forgiven and they didn't ask for it. I mean, that, that doesn't sound like that's legal. This is why it's legal. Jesus told the paralytic man, and it's the same thing for the, the, the prostitute. Because you believe in me, you're forgiven. I'm going to say it again. That's all that matters to God. Because you believe in Jesus, your sins are therefore forgiven. Even if you don't ask for it. Oh, don't throw anything at me. This is going to be, it's getting better, okay? Just hang on to your seat. If you cross your arms, I know you're mad at me. But anyway, 2 Corinthians 5, 19. 2 Corinthians 5. Look at what this scripture says. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer... Counting people's sins against them. Now, if he's no longer counting people's sins against them, why'd he require you to be to ask for forgiveness if you believe in him? Because he says, if you believe in me, I'm no longer counting sins against you. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. This is a, the best thing for people, our relationships horizontally. You should always forgive people whether they ask for it or not. That's for your benefit. 
That's for your benefit, to forgive people. You said, well, pastor, what if they never ask for forgiveness? You better forgive them. It's to your benefit. If you hold on to it, it's going to hurt you. So we forgive before they even ask for it, and it just sets you free. Did you know this is what God does? He's done. He's already, do you realize God has already forgiven the whole world? Every sinner that's on this planet, they're forgiven. But it will not do them any benefit until they receive the forgiveness through Jesus. You see the, the problem? But you know, it seems just like in the church that we don't really believe that we're forgiven. We really don't. I'm just saying that your sins are forgiven forever. And you know what? It takes great faith to believe that. It does. Faith is believing something that God has done for you. That's what faith is all about. And so it takes great faith for you and me to believe that we're forgiven. And this is when it's tough, when we're the biggest jerk on the planet. I know it's hard for you to believe, but I can slide into those shoes of being a big jerk. I'm not going to look at my wife, but I mean, I can And that's the time that you and I have to use our faith to say, I'm forgiven. I am forgiven by God. If you don't believe that, then God is going to have to come down and be crucified and resurrected and shed his blood again and again and again every time you sin. But the Bible says he's done that once and for all. It's not like the, the sacrifice in the old covenant where they had to kill a lamb and keep killing it and keep killing it and keep killing it to cover your sin. But God comes along and the blood of Almighty God is shed and his blood does not cover sin. His blood takes it, your sin away as if it never existed. Not only the sins that you have done in your past, not only the sins that you are doing right now, that every single sin that you will do in the future has been taken away and forgiven. Three amens. That's, that's better in the first service. All right. Let me just ask you this. Think about this question. Was Christ's atonement on the cross, was it sufficient enough to do and take care of everything? I'm glad you agreed to that. This is what it says. God has already healed us because of the death, burial, and resurrection. 2 Peter 2, 24. He's already healed us. By his stripes we're healed. He's already made you and I righteous. Romans 5, 19. He's already blessed us. Ephesians 1, 3. We're blessed with all spiritual blessings. And he's given us everything that pertains to life and to godliness. 2 Peter 1, 3. He's given us everything. So if God has done all of that for us, then people have this tendency to think, but if I sin, that takes, it's taken away. So what you're telling me, your sin has the ability to take you out of the grace of God. It's just like you're jumping in and out of the grace of God. I sin, so no longer those promises are good for me. Okay, I'm back into the grace of God. Okay, I'm jumping out of the grace of God. Really? So what you're telling me is sin is truly greater than grace. If that's what you believe, that's what you're saying. 
There's a scripture in Matthew chapter 6 that Jesus, because I know people will bring this up, so I'm going to try to, to hit it off. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus tells this, this group of people and says, if you don't forgive people, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you. This is why you have to know about pre-cross, what Jesus spoke to certain groups of people and other people he did not speak that way. Now listen to me. He spoke to a prostitute and to the guy who was paralyzed and says, your sins will be forgiven. They didn't ask for it. Then he comes to this religious sect of group of people that believe that their self-righteousness causes them to be up with God and to be saved because of what they can do. It's called self-righteousness. And every time Jesus addressed that group of people, he addressed them, listen to me now, under the law. It's vitally important that you know that. Why? Because he says, under the law, you're not forgiven if you don't forgive. That's law. So all of the religious people and all the people that were self-righteous, he talked to a certain way. It was a hard way. It was a way in the fact that if you do this, this isn't going to happen. And if you don't think, he was telling them, it's on your effort and it's all up to you. But after grace and the cross, God says, Jesus has done this for you. Jesus has done this for you. Do you see the difference? Well, I want all of us to realize that there should be no more fear of sin. After the cross, there should be no more fear of sin and that sin is way up here and that you are down here trying to get the victory over it. That's a wrong mindset. Jesus defeated this. He defeated sin. And if he defeated sin, then we need to change our way of thinking. All right? Now, we're going to get to the scripture that everybody knows and that it is a firm foundation in people's doctrine. 1 John 1, 9. 1 John 1, 9. Here we go. Are you ready? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's the scripture that most of us was probably raised on it by thinking that if we do not ask for forgiveness, we are not forgiven based upon that scripture. How many were taught that? Should be probably all of you. If you were raised in this church, that's what you were taught. <laughs> anyway, so this is the point. God's goodness is based upon whether or not you confess. God's promises are based upon whether or not how good you confess. And dear Lord, what if we forget one? I'm just going to let you know, you have forgotten more than one. Because the Bible says to him to know to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. <laughs> We've all done that probably this morning. So what if you forget? You're not forgiven according to that doctrinal belief. Well, we're going to attack that today, and I do mean attack it. Let me just say this. Paul wrote three-fourths of the New Testament. Not one time did he say you have to ask for, for forgiveness. 
Isn't it strange? Somebody who had such great revelation, yet never said, to be forgiven, you have to ask God to forgive you. Now, most people will say, oh, he said repent many, many times. Now, I've taught the word repent, so I'm not going to go back there. But it's Strong's Concordance number 3340, okay? Look it up. You know what it means? It means to think differently. It does not mean to confess. I'm not feeling much love. Everybody love the pastor this morning? I'll change shirts. I mean... Repent means to change the way that you think. In other words, you're going down this way and you're thinking the way the world thinks. And God says, and Paul said this many times, you need to repent, which means go 180 degrees, totally change the way you think and think like God thinks. That's repent. It's not confessing your sin. So Paul never did say you have to confess your sin to be forgiven. The only scripture that people put their stake on and their foundation is 1 John 1 1 9. And if you don't ask for forgiveness, you will not be forgiven. Well, forgiveness is the good news. It is. 1 John 1 9, you do need to have a little bit of study of church history. But I believe even if you're just reading the Bible and interpreting it and not letting somebody tell you what it means, you can figure this out that you're forgiven. But I'm going to help you and give you a little bit of church history. The first three, three centuries, it's when the church started, but the first three centuries, there was a major heresy that was produced, and it was called Gnosticism, Gnostics. If you're like me, you think, how do they get Gnostic? It starts with a G. Being from Kentucky, I had a hard time figuring out what that, how to spell that word. But it's Gnostics. You can Google this. If you don't believe me, Google it. But I've researched this in church history and the, the books that I have and everything. Gnostics were infiltrating the church to such a degree that it was causing division in the church, it was causing uh, church splits and people to hate each one another and have massive fights. And it was causing destruction in the church at the beginning of the stage of the church. We're talking the first three centuries. And so this is what Gnostics believed, all right? They claimed that they possess a higher knowledge, and, but it was not from the Bible, They got this higher knowledge from some mystical higher plane, you know, way up there, that kind of knowledge. And that salvation came by that knowledge. It didn't come by Jesus. It didn't come through the word and knowing the word and knowing Jesus. It didn't didn't have anything to do with the Bible or God. They claim that they were free from all illusions of darkness. They were not deceived and did not have any darkness in them. They believed that Jesus did not have a human body. They believed in Jesus, but he was some mystical, spiritual floating on a cloud that he never had a body because flesh was evil. And therefore, they said there is no way that they could believe that he was born of a virgin birth. So they didn't believe any of that. 
They also believe, uh, did not believe in sin. Sin, which is something that was ignorance. It really wasn't sin. So they didn't believe they, they sinned at all. So can you imagine? I mean, that is some major doctrinal issues against the Bible. And yet they were teaching this, and it was infiltrating the church. And guess what? The church started to believe it. They started to believe it. That sin was not a problem. I mean, they didn't have to worry about sin. And they didn't have to worry about darkness. And that maybe God didn't come in the flesh. Maybe he wasn't born of a virgin. Maybe you don't need Jesus to be saved. All right? So you understand the background? Everybody understand what I just said? All right. Based upon that belief system of the Gnostics, based upon that, 1 John was written. And so John is going to, he's going to knock it out of the park about this Gnostic belief system that has infiltrated the church. Are you ready? 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. So right away, they said, Jesus has never come in the flesh. Boom. He said, listen, we've seen him, we've heard him, we've touched him. Verse 2, the life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. So he's just hitting this head on. He's saying, we're telling you we've seen Jesus. I don't know what these guys are talking about, but we've seen Jesus, we've heard him, and we've experienced the manifested life of God. Then John tells them how to get saved. He says, we've seen Jesus, and we're going to tell you the gospel message. He's going to tell them the gospel message. This is the message, verse 5, which we have heard from him, Jesus, and we're going to declare it to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. They, didn't have, they were talking about darkness. He's saying Jesus is the one who doesn't have any darkness. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. Do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So they were saying that we don't have sin. And so John turns around and says, if you're saying that, you're deceived because all have sinned. All are sinners. Then we get to 1 John 1, 9. John tells them how to be born again or how to be saved. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now, you can look up words in the Strong's Concordance. You've heard me say that. If you look up the word sins in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, if you guys want to pull that up, it has an N by the Greek word, harmatia. Do you see the N by that? Do you know what the N means? It means it is a noun. I didn't do so well in, 
in English in Kentucky, but I do know that do know that an N is noun and a V is a verb. The word sins, if we confess our sins, is a noun, which means it is a person, place, or thing. So this means that he's talking about a noun being a person, which means that he is a sinner, which means he is not saved. Because if we are sinning, that would be a verb, which means we are doing something. He's not talking about sins that we are doing something. He's talking about a noun, that's what you are. I got a lot more excited when I heard that than what you guys, everybody's going. If you're, you're watching online, this is the look. Maybe not even that pretty, but anyway. Don't laugh too hard at that. All right, but anyway, this is why this is important. Because he's saying you guys aren't born again. You think you are born again. You think you're saved, but you're not. It takes Jesus. We've seen Jesus. We've experienced Jesus. We know Jesus. And it takes you confessing him and believing in him because you're a sinner. You're not born again. All right? So John has addressed all of the major belief systems of the Gnostic beliefs in these first few scriptures here. And he's writing this and sending it to the churches. This letter needs to be understood in our church and every church on the planet. They've been lying to themselves. They've been deceived, saying that they could do this on their own. And John says, no, you can't. No, you cannot. If we read the whole book of John, if you just sit down and read, I mean, 1 John, I mean, it doesn't take you very long at all. You will understand that he's, if you take the whole concept is, Our sins, all of our sins, have been forgiven. If you believe in Jesus, it's just like when you get born again, what happens? You know this, uh, or Colossians 1, 23, 27, it says that we are Christ in us, the hope of glory. You get put in Christ. And once you are put in Christ, you are sin-free from that point on, as far as God is concerned. Now you sin. Oh, Pastor, you mean I don't sin anymore? <laughs> no, I'm not saying that. You sin. Yeah, you sin. But the way that God sees you, the way that God sees you is sin-free. Why? Because your sins are forever forgiven. Just keep chewing. Just keep chewing. First John 1 John 1.7, pull that up. This is why I say this. Before he addressed 1 John 1, 9, 1 John 1, 7, he says, But if we walk in light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus Christ. His son cleanses us from... Well, well, how about the ones I didn't confess? Well, how about the ones I forgot? Well, how about the ones I don't want to confess? All sin. You can do a word study in all in Greek, Hebrew, Swahili, Spanish, Kentucky, and it's going to mean all. It's going to mean all your sin is forgiven. Listen. What about this 
confessing your sins even to get saved, you know? And so if you look up Romans 10, 9, and 10, that's the scripture that we teach, that most of the world teaches how to get saved. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, do not even say that you need to confess your sin to be born again. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then verse 10 says that for the heart, one believes into righteousness and with the mouth confession is made into salvation. Do you see anything in there that says we, you have to confess your sin to get saved? You were probably taught that. I was taught that. And let me just be perfectly clear. Don't correct people when you're standing beside them and they say, okay, you're, you're witnessing to somebody, you're getting somebody born again, and this person says, okay, let's, I believe Jesus, my Lord and Savior, and I believe, Father, I ask you to forgive me. I said, no, 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 stop that, stop that. Don't do that. Please. If you do, don't tell them that you go to church here. But anyway, don't do that. I'm kidding. Don't, don't do it. Why? Because they're going to get born again. God's not like, you didn't say that perfectly, so you're not saved. God is not that way. Are you hearing? He's a good father. He's doing his best to get people in, not keep people out. Are you hearing me? So my point is this. Do you have to confess your sins to even get born again? The answer is no, you do not. So if the biggest thing that we can receive is salvation and you don't have to confess your sin to receive salvation, what makes us think that if we're not going to get the blessings of God or the promises of God or God's going to withhold something from us after we're saved if we don't confess our sins? Come on now. Come on. Because if you truly believe that, if you truly believe that, and some people do, that let's say on Monday you confess uh, or that you sin on Monday. And But you do not confess that sin to Wednesday. Oh, we got three days of hell. What if you died before you confess that sin? Some people truly believe that you'll go to hell. That, that you'll go to hell. That is scary. I mean, to the nth degree, double scary. To think that what if I didn't confess a sin? What if I forgot a sin and something happens to me? You're going to go to hell. You're going to burn forever. You're going to go to hell. Everybody say, that's not my father. That is not God. That is not in the word of God. But people will take 1 John 1, 9 and make that their doctrine. They'll make that their doctrine. I'm telling you, that is not what God wants you and I to know. And listen, I, I will say this. You know, people say, so when you do wrong, do you, what do you do? This is what I do. I say, God, you know, I should not have gotten mad at my wife. I am sorry. I shouldn't have did that. And that's the way I talk to him. But listen to me. I don't have in the back of my mind that I'm doing that to get for forgiveness. It's in my mind 24-7 that I'm forgiven no matter what I do, what I say, no matter what. That's just to help me with my conscience, you know. I think, Lord, I shouldn't have did that. I shouldn't have cut that person off. 
ran him off the road. No, I'm just kidding. I shouldn't have did that. I'm kidding. But I don't do that, listen to me, believing that I'm forgiven because I'm saying that. I don't. By faith, by faith, I know I'm forgiven. Before the foundation of the world, I was forgiven. In the heart of God, God said that. He said Jesus was crucified even before the foundation of the world. Sin was taken care of before sin ever existed. That's just the way God operates. He's got the problem solved before it even manifests. He's got your problem solved before it even manifests. He's got your provision attainable before you even have the lack. Wow. But this is the point I want to make. When it comes to confessing sin, the word confess you look that up in the Strong's Concordance, it's homologeo, which means this. It means to say the same as another, to agree with. To say, to say the same as another. So confess, it says in 1 John 1, 9, to confess that you are a sinner, to confess. So you need to say the same thing that God says and to agree with him so that you will be saved, that you will not be a sinner. We think confession is, oh, we just need to say, uh, confess our sins before God. Well, Psalms 103, verse 10. This is Old Covenant, Old Testament. He has not dealt with us according to our sins. This is the heart of God. He does not even deal with you today according to your sins. I don't know about you, but that just is great news. We can go home right now. God is not dealing with me according to my sins or according to your sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. Oh, God's just punishing me. God is just punishing me. Well, you're deceived, honey. He's not punishing you. Well, you don't know what I've done. And obviously, you don't know what he did. I said, obviously, you don't know what Jesus has done for you. I said, obviously, you don't know what Jesus has done for you because he is not punishing you even when it comes to your sin. He punished Jesus, and that's why you get off scot-free. You say, what? Can I sin then? Well, you don't understand grace. Now you just fell off the wagon. If you're asking the question, can I sin, then you don't understand grace. You see, God doesn't want you to sin because horizontally it's going to hurt you and your relationships. If you, if you sin against somebody, it's going to hurt you this way. But this way, it's not. I know people are going, just swallow. Are you saying it, it, my sin is not... Did you hear all of the scriptures that we, and I could have added a bunch more. 2 Corinthians 5, 19 says he's not counting your sins against you. He's not recording them. He's not even writing them down. Didn't you think, I grew up thinking that there was a whole library in heaven. The Davis library. What is that? That's all of my sin. Not in a book. It was a whole branch. 
And then God says, I'm not keeping track of your sins, Mike. I went, what? Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 19, I'm not keeping track of your sins. The blood of Jesus didn't cover them. They took sin away from all of humanity forever. And the only benefit, to benefit that, you have to believe in Jesus to get that benefit. How many think that's pretty easy, though? Well, let me finish this. Based upon this, most people think if I sin, then sickness is allowed to come in my life. Poverty, anything of the curse in Deuteronomy chapter 20. If I sin, now I've opened up the door for all hell to break loose. And if, you know, if you broke your leg or if you're you're in a car accident and break your thumb, that I probably sin. Everybody say, I love you, Anthony. But people believe that. Oh, you must have sinned. And that's, and that's why this is happening to you because, you know, you didn't confess and so therefore you've opened up the door. Let me just give you some common sense thinking. Most Christians think and believe that the devil is defeated. <clears throat> Most Christians think and believe that the devil is defeated. Do, is, is this church believe that? Okay, I was almost scared. What church have you put me in, God? But anyway, if the devil is defeated, therefore, anything that we think that the devil has entry into our life, what difference does it matter if he's defeated? I don't think you got that. Luke 10, 19 says, Behold, I give unto you power and authority over all the serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means harm you. Why? Because you have authority and power, and it's not based upon your goodness or what you've done. It's based upon what he has done for you. And he says, All of your sins are taken care of. And I am your righteousness. I am your goodness. I am your holiness. I am your sanctification. I am your wisdom. I'm everything you need. And when you are in me, therefore nothing can harm you no matter what people say against you. Oh, man. This has set you free. Because, see, people think that, oh, man, you have this strong addiction. Oh, you're really in deep. They're in bad sin, Pastor. They're really in bad sin. Well, first of all, is there any good sin? I mean, mean, yeah, but it's deep. It's deep. I don't really know what that means. But, I mean, sin is sin. But this is what I know. Jesus conquered it. I said Jesus conquered sin. And if you are a believer in Christ, you are in him. Therefore, this is where it gets good. You have conquered sin. No addiction can hold you. No sin has any power over you. There's no power sin has on you. Once you understand this, it sets the captives free. Jesus said, I came to set the captives free. The reason he came to set the captives free is because he freed us from the power of sin. It no longer has domain on your residence anymore. But if you believe that if I don't confess, then it still has hold of me. You're deceived just like the Gnostics were deceived. I'm telling you, we have to believe this. Why? Because when you believe that there's no power of sin over your life, guess what? There's no power of sickness over your life anymore. 
There's no power of poverty over your life anymore. There's no power anything in the curse over your life anymore. Why? Because sin has been conquered for you and for me. Jesus conquered it for us. He didn't have to come down and do it for him. He, he was over sin. Why did he conquer sin? He did it for you and me. And that's why he said to the paralytic, he said to the prostitute, your sins are forgiven without them even asking for it. That is, is that good of God? He's such a good father that we don't even know what we need. And he says, you know what you need? You need forgiveness of sins. Well, well, well yeah. And I'm, I'm forgiving them all. I'm forgiving all of your sins. It has set you free. People says, well, man, you're just going to cause people to sin. I think they're doing okay without that truth. I think they're doing okay without that truth. But this truth sets the captives free. This truth will set you free and your relatives free. That they, they, they feel like sin is such a stronghold on their life. You know, we use Christianese language. Oh, they're in bondage and change and there's strongholds over their life. You talk like that in the world and they'll put you in a white jacket. What does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. It means you think what they have done is greater than what Jesus has done. Where sin does abound, sin is grasping hold of America. We're just in the depths of sin. I'm glad you said that. Because where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. It much more abounds. It has set you free. This message should set everybody free. I'm going to close with a scripture. Colossians 2, 13 and 14. Read this. This realm of death describes our former state. For we were held in sin's grasp. Does it sound like so true? We were held in the sin's grasp. But, oh, aren't you thankful there's a but right there. We were held in sin's grasp. But now, everybody say now. But now we've been resurrected out of that realm of death. Oh, aren't you glad you're resurrected out of the realm of death, out of the realm of sin and its power over you? He said, we are resurrected out of that realm of death, never to return. What? What? Well, what if I sin? Never to return. Even though you sin, you're not a sinner and you'll never return to sin's grip on your life ever again. That's powerful. I'm telling you, that's powerful. You need to hear this and the world needs to hear this. This is the gospel, which is the good news. We've been resurrected out of the realm of death, never to return, for we are forever alive and forgiven of all our sins. That's your past, that's your present, that's your future. All means every sin that has ever been or will be on this planet has been forgiven because of Jesus. Verse 14, he canceled out every legal violation we had on our record and the old arrest warrant that stood in indict of us. He erased it all. He erased it all. Our sins, our stained soul, he deleted it all that they cannot be retrieved. Everything we once were in Adam has been placed onto the cross and nailed permanently there as a public display of cancellation. The sign on your cross and on my cross is this, paid in full. 
I couldn't pay it. You couldn't pay it. None of us could pay it. But Jesus says, I'll pay it. And not only will I pay it for your past, not only will I pay it for your present, I'm paying this for all eternity, your future, every sin, everything coming against you is paid for by me. If anybody wants to know about your sin, you tell them, come see me. You tell them to come see me. Why? Because I'm going to tell them my blood is so powerful that it wipes sin completely away as if it never existed. That's your Father. That's your God. That's who we serve today. Amen? Let's stand.